Turn in your Bibles, Malachi chapter 3, uh, verse number 8. The book of Malachi, it's the last one in the Old Testament, right before Matthew, chapter 3, verse number 8. This is going to be a part 2 of our series talking about kingdom finances. I'm going to go ahead and read the verse and then we will jump in this morning. Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you in your tithes and contributions? You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. This is very uplifting this morning. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. How many of you would like that in your life? That's awesome. So there is good news on this. I will rebuke the devourer for you. That sounds awesome. So that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil. And your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Then all nations will call you blessed, for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. Okay, so last month when we, when we talked, um, I got up and I just asked people, hey, what is your vision for the church? You know, what are your dreams for the church? And it was really cool. Like, one by one, everybody went around and and shared different things that God had put on their heart. Ben stood up and said, I want to see young families come in. Or, I think he just said families. He didn't clarify age. Barry said, you know, I want to see people come in here with lives going one direction and then leave with lives going a different direction. Right? Judy said, I want to see this place filled to capacity. Lynn said, I want to see signs, wonders, and miracles. There's all these awesome things. And we, we kind of went around, and Rhonda said, yeah, I, you know, I want to see you know, people grow in their, in their relationship with, with, with Christ. And, and, and it was really cool to see because you know, everyone here has incredible, awesome dreams and visions and, and hopes and desires for this church. We all want to see this church succeed. We all want to see the visions that God has put on our hearts for this church come to pass. And I can only imagine if this is the dreams that you have for the church, I can only imagine the dreams that you have for your own personal life and for your own uh, family and for the future that you see in your life. And so then we had the very uncomfortable conversation. (laughs) Well, it was uncomfortable for some, not me. I love talking about this stuff. We had the conversation that every single one of our dreams, every single one of our visions, and all the things that we want to see come to pass in the earth are going to cost thousands, if not hundreds of thousands, if not even millions of dollars. Right? So we need for God to change the way that we think about money. We need to create a culture of abundance that's more than enough. It's what God was talking about this morning. That if those truly are the dreams and the visions that we have for the church, then you and I have permission to be blessed financially. Not only do we have permission to be blessed financially, but I actually believe we have an obligation to be blessed financially. So that... Because, guys, guess what? Who's going to fund that? You. (laughs) Right? You. Who's going to fund all of the visions, all of the dreams, all of the things that you have for this church and for your own life? You. How? God opening up the windows of heaven and pouring out a blessing in your life that causes an overflow. 
so that not only are you provided for, but now you can be a blessing to every single person and every single ministry that God has called you to sow into. All right? And over the last year, you know, God has blessed Kelly and I with abundance, and it has caused me to come face to face with a lot of just wrong, wrong thinking that I have in regards to money. And last month we talked about some of the things like, you know, wealth and, and poverty have very little to do with what's in here. Wealth and poverty have very little to do with what's in here. This is a new wallet, Christmas gift. My other one got eaten by a dog. By, but it very little to do with this. Very little to do with this. I don't carry cash. Oh, no, that's true. I got $3. Very little to do with that. And everything to do with this. Everything to do with the way that we think in regards to money. And there exists inside of the world this uh, mentality, an extreme mentality of greed and wealth and prosperity. And, and there also exists inside of the world an extreme mentality of poverty. And that's not what I want to talk about today. Because there also exists actually inside of the church an extreme theology that is centered around prosperity and wealth. And there also exists an extreme theology that is centered around poverty and lack. Neither one of them are actually biblical. They're, all both, they're both extremes that take one to the right or one to the left. And when we look at church history over the last 40 or 50 years, what happened is there was a movement in the church called the prosperity gospel. And... You know, preachers were coming and saying, you know, give $100 today and you'll get your miracle, you know, and, and stuff like that. And, you know, you just, you just sow into the church and, and I tell you in the name of, you know, and they use the name of God and Mercedes Benz is coming to your household, right? So, so just extreme abuses of this concept. <clears throat> and one of my favorite preachers says that whenever we react rather than respond to an incorrect doctrine, we end up in a worse doctrine than the one we reacted to. So many believers in reaction to the prosperity gospel went the exact other direction and embraced a poverty-centered theology, which essentially embraces poverty as some sign of greater spirituality because I never have money, so then I'm always in need of God. Okay? The problem with that is that poverty is not a spiritual gift. Poverty is a bondage. And we may not see it as clear in our nation, but if we flew across the world to India or another nation, we could go and, and watch four, four and five-year-old kids walking barefoot over piles of trash so that they can make 13 cents so that their families can eat. None of us would look at that kid and say, wow, that kid is really embracing his spiritual identity. We would all look at him and say, that kid, there's no way that he should live like that. Right? Poverty is a bondage. Think about what you could do with your life if money was no issue. I, I just sold a house for a guy up in Kittery who, whose family owned a grocery store, and so, you know, apparently they had a lot of money or whatever. He got a huge inheritance, and so six months out of every year, he travels to third world countries and assists blind kids. He's not even a Christian. <laughs> he just does it because he doesn't have to worry about money. I mean, think about what you could do if you did not have to worry about money in your life. And more damaging than simply that poverty is a bondage to this doctrine is that God's dreams cost money, right? The visions, purposes, and destinies that God has for our lives are all going to actually cost financial resources. And whether you're coming out of your pocket or, whether, or you're receiving donations from someone else, somebody's got to pay for it, right? And so if God's People have embraced a theology that centers around poverty. God's church will be choked from accomplishing its purposes and forced to simply survive so that it can pay its bills. But I believe with all of my heart 
that God wants more for his church than for it to survive so that it can pay its bills. I believe that God wants more for your life individually than for you to simply survive so that you can pay your bills. I believe that God wants you to have abundance in all areas of your life and all includes your bank account. I believe that God wants to bless you and open up the windows of heaven over your life and pour a blessing into your life that you do not have room right now. In other words, you'd have to rearrange the infrastructure of your entire life to be able to comprehend the amount of money that God wants to pour into your life. That's the scripture. In response to somebody that understands their responsibility to tithe. Wow. That's cool. <clears throat> I believe on one side of the road is the prosperity gospel. And a prosperity, completely just extreme measures to the point that it turns into manipulation. And on the other side of the road is the poverty-centered gospel, where, where we have embraced poverty as a, as a sign of some sort of spirituality. It's almost like it's a spiritual gift. And in the center of the road is a biblical understanding of kingdom finances and how God wants us to look at money. And it is vitally important that we as a church get this because I believe that God wants to create in us a culture of abundance so that we can, A, be an extremely generous people, like blow your mind generous. How did they donate that much money, generous people? And B, go and accomplish all of the purposes, plans, and destinies that God has designed for our lives and for this church. So I'm going to talk about this, and I may talk about it all year. I haven't decided yet. But I'm okay with that, because we need to get this. And I'm not getting paid for this. I'm not, well, that's not true. I do make a small amount of money every month. I want to be honest. I make a small amount of money. But your tithe does not affect what I get paid. The percentage, it is, it is not relevant. So I want to be clear about this. My motivation is quite simple. If we really believe that God has called us to do all of, the, all of this amazing stuff in this church and in, this, and, and in our lives, then we need to get on board with what God is telling us to do with our money. Okay? All right. There are people that literally believe that money has no spiritual value. It's just money. Just green pieces of paper with dead presidents on it, right? Got a couple... George Washington's, not very impressive. But you can buy a nice coffee at Cumbies, but not much else, right? Then they hit you with the tax, so it's $1.05. What are you going to do? That is totally digressing. Money has no spiritual value. Well, that's not true, because this is what Jesus said in, in, in the Bible, in Luke 16. He says, If then, if you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust to you the true riches? So if you haven't been faithful in what God is calling you to do with unrighteous wealth, just money, just money, right? Then how is God going to entrust to you true riches? So not only is money vitally important as a believer, but it's actually a measure that God uses to judge the responsibilities and callings he's going to put on your life in the earth. And we're over here saying, oh, it's just money. Money has no spiritual value. It's the root of all evil. The love of money is the root of all evil, right? Not money itself. Money is not the root of all evil. And God is looking for people who understand how to steward their money so that he can entrust to them true riches. So my goal in this series, I already said that. Today, last, last month, we talked about permission to be blessed with money. 
Okay, Just permission to be blessed with money. If you did not hear this sermon, you can go back last month and listen to it because you and I need to give ourselves permission to be blessed with money. For whatever reason, as believers, we think we have permission to be blessed with everything but money. Right? Bless my marriage, bless my job, bless my kids, but keep me poor so I don't become one of those Christians that goes and buys a boat and leaves the church and never comes back. Right? Right? I've heard about them, never met one, but I've heard about them. No. Guys, if we truly have dreams, visions, and purposes for this church, we need to understand that we have permission for God to bless us with money. And so that we can take that money and sow it into the ministry that we're a part of. Well, brother, you know, Paul, he said he knew what it was like to, to lack, and, and he knew what it was like to, to abound. And he learned to be content in any and all situations, so we should be content to be broke. Thank you. Because last time I checked, Paul was a traveling minister who received 100%, well, maybe 90% if he had to do his tent building, funds from other believers. Right? So he traveled around the world, planted churches, preached the gospel. His income was based on the donations of other believers. So if Paul was ever in lack, it was actually an indictment against the people that were called to sow into him. <laughs> so you can't use that verse as a context to not have money. Unless you're receiving 100% of your income from donations from believers. In other words, if you are in full-time ministry. So as far as I can tell, that's only one person in this whole building, right? Only one person can use that verse in context. Everybody else, nope, doesn't apply. God's calling his people to sow into his kingdom so that his kingdom can advance in the earth. So we talked about permission to be blessed with money. If you haven't heard that, go back and listen to it. Today, I want to talk about permission to seek after, expect, and believe for the reward of giving. The reward of giving. Every time that God talks about giving financially in the scriptures, he attaches a reward to it. Without fail, study this, prove me wrong, go back today, read your Bible, go and dig this out for me, please, someone prove me wrong. But every time I find God talking about money, he is attaching a reward that comes to our lives as a result of sowing financially into his kingdom. And unfortunately, because of the misuses, because of the abuses of this principle, because of some of the manipulation that, that maybe you have experienced under different ministries or with different people or you see it on Christian television. Because of all of those negative examples of this principle, we have come to believe that it's actually wrong to seek after, expect for, and believe the reward that God has promised us in his word. That somehow our motives are off and our heart is in the wrong place, and we're not really giving for the right reasons. But, but I want to challenge you today, because nowhere in the Bible does God say, give just for the sake of giving. I want to challenge you today, because nowhere in the Bible does it say, give just because it's the right thing to do. Now, Jesus does address the heart motives of the Pharisees and why they're giving. But even then, he will attach a reward to it, and we'll get into that in a second. If God wanted you to give just for the sake of giving, why wouldn't he say give just for the sake of giving? This is what Jesus said. Give, and it shall be given back to you, which is great in itself. And then he said, press down, shaken together, and then running over. So give... And then you will get back what you gave with increase. There's a reward, okay? Where else, where else do we have rewards in the Bible about giving financially? <clears throat> 
When Jesus, even when he's beginning to talk about the negative practices of the Pharisees in regards to how they dealt with their finances, he says, you know, you, when you give to the needy, you make this big show of it. Like, you show up to church with one of those big publisher's clearinghouse checks. You know, you got you to, gotta like, put it on its edge to get it in the door. And you come down the aisle with this 8 by 4 sheet of plywood with the amount of money that you make. Right? You make this big show of it. Just don't do that. that. That's really dumb. You've already received your award. Congratulations. You look like a fool. Right? Is when you give, don't let your left hand know what your right hand's doing. In other words, do it in, do it in a secret so that you're not doing it so that other people will applaud you, but you're doing it because you know it's what you should be doing. And then he says this, and your father who sees what you've done in secret will reward you openly. So even when Jesus addresses some of the wrong practices of giving, he still attaches a reward to those that sow financially. In Philippians 4.23, I talked about this verse briefly. But it's the verse when Paul says, I know what it's like to lack, I know what it's like to abound, I've learned to be content in any and all situations. There's also a verse in that that we love to quote where Paul says, and my God shall supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory. How many times have we quoted that? My God shall supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory. The context of that verse is the Philippian church showing into Paul's life financially. So he's thanking the Philippian church for continually blessing him with money. Thank you for continually sowing into my ministry. Thank you for continually being a blessing to me. And then this is what he says in, in Philippians in the fourth chapter. You can go back and read it. He says, I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphrodites the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God shall supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory. What is Paul doing? He's doing the same thing that Jesus did. He's saying, because you have given, it's going to be given back to you. You have sown into me financially, and trust me, God sees every single dollar that you have sown into my life, and he's going to make sure that every single one of your needs are met because you're sowing from a right heart into a ministry that's literally changing the world. And even when we look at Jesus, when he went to the cross, the Bible says in the book of Hebrews chapter 12, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of God. So Jesus, who gave up his own life, the Bible says, did it for the joy that was set before him. What was the joy that was set before him? It was the reward of saving the entire world. It was the reward of the authority that God was going to give him so that he could sit down at the right hand of God, which is why the Moravians, hallelujah, well, I was thinking about this when we were worshiping this morning, when the Moravians were being sold off to slavery so that they could go and win an island to Christ. They said this and they sung this as they were being shipped off to a life of slavery so they might win others to God. They say, may the lamb receive the reward of his suffering. So even Jesus, when he went to the cross for the joy that was set before him, understood that in giving his own life, he was going to receive a reward as a result. So what I want to tell you today is that you and I need to understand that there are very specific and biblical rewards that God has outlined for us as a result of giving financially into the kingdom of God. In the Bible, they did it with wheat and, 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 uh, and I don't know, wheat farm stuff, whatever, the, you know, farm. Today we do it with, with, with money, okay? But there are very specific rewards that God has attached to those that sow financially into the kingdom of God. 
And, 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 and this is even more important because this, is, this has to do with how we think, that it is 100% okay and, and scriptural for us to seek after, believe for, and expect that that reward is going to come into our lives. You hear, you hear what I'm saying, right? And we need, to th- we need to change the way that we think. Well, it's wrong for me to think about reward. I'm, I'm just, I'm just going to give. I just got to give. No. Give and it shall be given back to you. When you give, understand that you're not just throwing your money out the window. You are an investor in the kingdom of God. And when you invest in something, you need to do it expecting a return on that investment. Nobody's going to invest in something unless they're thinking about getting a return. And when you sow, the Bible says you will reap what you sow. This is a natural principle. Actually, has nothing to do with heart motives because who in the world is going to question the heart motive of a farmer who goes out in spring and sows a seed in the ground? Why is he sowing his seed in the ground? To reap a harvest. Right? Well, I don't know if he's doing that for the right reasons. He's sowing a seed in the ground so that in the fall, when it comes time, he was going to reap a harvest. This is why people that aren't even believers who practice the principle of tithing are blessed financially. Because the principle works according to a law of nature. Okay? Sowing and reaping. But God wants to take it a step further when Jesus says, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees and the scribes, you shall not even enter into the kingdom of God. The Pharisees tithed. The, tithes, the, the scribes tithed. Jesus doesn't want you to simply tithe to tithe. Jesus wants you to sow into the kingdom of God with a right heart, okay? That comes from being renewed and a renewed mind by the Spirit of God. But understand that the principle of tithing works according to a law of nature called sowing and reaping. So when you sow your finances into the kingdom of God, you will reap a harvest financially in your own life. Period. <clears throat> Just got a little ahead of myself. I've got a lot of thoughts on this. Can you tell? Okay. There are people that, that think that tithing was done away with in the, in the New Testament. That that was an Old Testament principle and that it doesn't exist for us today. <clears throat> but when we look at tithing it, it, in Scripture, and I'm just going to digress for, for, for five minutes so we can just get a basic foundation about what tithing is. Tithing existed before the law of Moses. When we see Abraham, Abraham won a battle, and he took the spoils, and the Bible says he took 10% of those spoils, and he tithed, well, he didn't tithe, it says he gave it to Melchizedek, who was a priest, the Bible says, had no beginning nor ending of days, he was a type and picture of God. So Abraham, before the law was ever enacted, tithed to Melchizedek. Then when Moses came along, God gave the law, and in that law, he instructed the people to take 10% of the first fruits of their harvest and to give it to the Levites. The Levites were those instructed for the work of the ministry. The reason that God wanted his ministers provided for is so that they could do the work of the ministry. So he's saying, I want these guys to focus on the work of the ministry. I want you to focus on getting the harvest. So when it comes harvest time, I want you to take 10% of the first fruits of that, and I want you to sow it into the Levites so that they can do what I've called them to do in the earth. All right? So what is tithing? Tithing is taking 10% of your income and sowing it in to the kingdom of God. So at the end of the year, when you get your 1099 or you get your W-2 or however it is that the IRS wants to tell you how much money you made that year, 10% of that belongs to God. 10% of that is not yours. Actually, 100% isn't yours because <laughs> it's all from God to begin with. But according to this principle... 10% of that belongs to God and should get sown into the church that you attend locally. 
it should get sown, whatever, whatever church that is. I'm not looking at a lot of visitors, so most people go here. So if here is what you would consider your local church, then this is where you would take 10% of your income and sow it in to the kingdom of God. Tithing is not taking an extra $20 whenever you have it and throwing it in the offering plate. Tithing is not if you worked last week but you didn't come to church and then you came the week before but you still made money during that week. It's not like you don't tithe on that. Well, I wasn't in church so I don't have to give. Tithing is 10% of your income, right? So if, if God could figure out a way to take it out before you could go spend it, he would. But the IRS already did that. So what he's looking for is someone who's willing to willingly take 10% of their income and say, I'm sowing it into my kingdom. I'm sowing it into the kingdom of God because I believe in the power of what God wants to do in the local church. So tithing was seen in Abraham. Tithing was seen in Moses and in the law. And then when Jesus came, he spoke of the law and he said this, Do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness will surpass, this is a really powerful scripture, for I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Now we know that the Pharisees and the teachers of the law did tithe. Because Jesus said that. He said, when you tithe, you got all the mint and the spices, but you're neglecting all, this other, all these other matters of the law. Let's just look at the first half of that statement. When you tithe. So the Pharisees and the scribes tithe. Not one word of the law is broken. And unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the scribes, you shall not enter into my kingdom of heaven. So where is this idea that tithing doesn't exist in the New Testament? It doesn't add up. It's not as, there's no scriptural precedent for it. And, for, and furthermore, even more destructive to that argument is that when we look at the New Testament church, like, they're taking it to another level, guys. <laughs> like, the, they're, like, literally selling all that they have and laying it at the apostles' feet. I mean, <laughs> that's like tithing to, an, that's tithing version 3.0. You know what I mean? If you want to just empty out your bank account at the end of service. No, you know what I mean? Here's the thing. Nobody was asking for it. Peter didn't get up and say, hey, you guys should empty out all that you have and lay it at our feet. Right? People tried to misuse that, and they ended up dead. <laughs> People understood something when they, when they got saved in the New Testament that, that not only was 10% of their money God's, all of their money was God's. And God could do way more with their money than they could do in their own strength. See, tithing is the best business proposition on the face of the earth. 10% to partner with God. Right? We talked about this last month. Imagine if Bill Gates came up to you, Judy, hanging out. One day, you were in Market Basket, grocery shopping. Bill Gates comes up to you and says, Judy, I'd like to offer you a business proposition, and I'd like you to test me in this. I'd like you to take 10% of everything you make and give it to me. And what I'm going to do as a result of that is open up the windows of my bank account and pour into your life a blessing that you don't have room enough to contain. And you can test me in this. Try me in this. Do a 30-day trial. 
for me to open up the windows of my bank account and pour into your life a blessing that you don't have room to contain? What, what would you say? Sounds pretty good. Right? I'm, Bill Gates is richer, I mean, excuse me. I almost said Bill Gates is richer than God. <laughs> Doesn't even come close. The, tr- the billions of dollars that Bill Gates has in his bank account right now doesn't even come close. When God decided to design his own city, he said, you know what, let's just pave the streets with gold. It's a biblical symbol for wealth and prosperity. God decided to walk on that. Right? While Jesus was poor, the Bible says Jesus became poor. So that through him we might become rich. But let's not even go there because, guys, Jesus, how many of you know, his dad was God. God dwells in a place whose streets are lined with gold. So Jesus was like a multi-billionaire and he made a decision to become poor, right? So if we want to use that verse in context, then you got to go out and make billions and billions and billions and billions and billions and billions of dollars and then give it all away. Nobody's in that position, right? So you can't use Jesus being poor as an excuse. Oh, man. This is fun. This is fun. So, when we look at the New Testament church, we, we see tithing is, is not this, I think we made a mistake. We made tithing this high mark of spiritual maturity. We've made it this grandiose thing to try to attain. But, but tithing for the New Testament church, it was just like, oh yeah, 10%. What's 10%? Here you go. Here's my field. Here's my money. Take it all. Right? <laughs> Right? Tithing is not this high mark of spiritual maturity. It's actually just a basic foundational principle of God's kingdom. It's a starting point. Tithing is, congratulations, you are no longer a thief. Whoops. That got uncomfortable quick. Because here's the deal, guys. I mean, this is as serious as God has ever made a statement. You are robbing from me. How are you robbing from me in your tithe and in your offering? How ridiculous would it be if you worked at a restaurant and it was your responsibility to count the money up at the end of the night and you decided that it would be a good idea that it made sense for you to just take 10% every night. You already were an employee there, everything was going good, but when you counted up the money, you said, you know what, I work hard here. I deserve this. I'm just gonna take 10%. And then the manager calls everybody into a meeting. He says, all right, guys, I wanna hear what you think. What should we do to make this business better? What should we do to improve this business? And you've got this laundry list of ideas and concepts and principles How many of you understand that that's incredibly hypocritical? Right? And yet, if you're sitting in here today with dreams, visions, and amazing concepts and ideas for this church, yet you are not tithing, you're doing the same exact thing. And you're robbing from God, and you're robbing from this church, and you're robbing from yourself the blessing that God wants to pour into your life as a result of giving. And that's as serious of a statement as I'll ever make. But that's how serious God was when he said, test me in this, because go and search the scriptures and there's nowhere else where God says, test me. In fact, everybody else says, don't test him. Don't test God. You gonna die. (laughs) Right? That's the southern gospel version of that one. Come on. You test God, we're going to tie some rope around your legs and pull you out dead, brother. You don't test him. And yet we look and God says, test me in this. Try me in this. See if I'm not better than you think I am. 
see if I can't do more with your money than you can. And then, because he's God and he's so good, he says, and as a result of tithing, and as a result of giving, I'm going to reward your life. I'm going to give you rewards in your life. I'm going to open up the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing that you don't have room to contain. <laughs> like, he did not have to do that. I want us to get that this morning. But he does because he's that good. There are rewards that come into your life as a result of giving. And the negative that you are robbing from God is never going to be powerful until you understand the positive of having open heavens over your life. Will, are you back there? Oh, he's in the bathroom. Sorry, Will. Picked the wrong time to go to the bathroom. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Sorry. That was probably super embarrassing. We love you. You're doing a great job. Could you do me a huge favor? Throw up the reward of giving. I just want to thank you. I made four slides. These are four rewards that I found in the Bible about giving that I, we've already talked about, but I've got them on a slide because I want us to see this in writing this morning. <clears throat> So the first one, if you go to the first slide, Will, thank you. Should be reward one. God will open up the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing you don't have room to contain. Why don't we say that together? One, two, three. God will open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing you don't have room to contain. Malachi 3.10, that's the verse that we read this morning. Go ahead to the next one, Will. God will rebuke the devourer over your life. Let's say that together. God will rebuke the devourer over your life. What is the devourer? Have you ever felt like as soon as you make money, it's gone? <laughs> have you ever felt like as soon as you make money, it's already spent? Right in, in the Bible, when they harvested crops, all of a sudden there would be all of these insects. We're seeing this massive locust invasion, right? These locusts would come and they would devour the crops before they had a chance to harvest them, right? This is a very real struggle. Some of us are dealing with it right now. As soon as we make money, as soon as it goes in the bank account, it's already spent. I know what that's going for. Can't even get to buy what I want to buy with it. <laughs> it's already gone, right? <clears throat> This is what the Bible says. God's going to rebuke the devourer over your life. So God's going to look at that thing that's eating up your finances and says, you have to stop. You've got to stop doing that. Because I've designed for this one to start growing, and I've designed for this one to start living in abundance. God's going to rebuke the devourer over your life. Well, go to the next one. Please. Thank you. God will give you back what you give with increase. All right, that's what we talked about this morning in Luke 6, 38. Give, and it will be given back. And it's pressed down. You study this, he's talking about oil and what they would do, the oil process. And I don't remember it all, but I learned at one point. But it's talking about oil. You press it down, you shake it together, and then it runs over so that you can fit more in. Okay, so, so God's going to give, when you give, right, God's going to give it back to you, but it's going to be more. So, that's good, right? Come on, am I the only one getting excited about this? This is fantastic. You get to give, and then it gets given back to you, right? You know, the Bible says God loves a cheerful giver, right? That doesn't mean God loves people who smile while they throw their money out the window. Yay! 
That's not what it's talking about. You want to know one of the reasons that you can be cheerful when you give? Because it's going to get given back to you. Pressed down. Shaking together. Running over. You get to be cheerful about that. Right? You don't have to come in with a publisher's clearinghouse check, but you can come in with your smile on your face. Come on. Because you're an investor in the kingdom of God. And when you invest in something, you expect a return on that investment. And that investment is not only more money, but it's also lives that get touched. It's also souls that get saved. It's also bodies that get healed. Come on. There's a return on that investment. And sowing into the kingdom of God is the only opportunity that you and I have to get to take something called money and turn it into something eternal. Woo! God, God will give you back what you give with increase, Luke 6.38. All right, go to the next one. I, I found four. I'm sure there's more. God will provide for all of your needs. All, 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 all. That means all, everything, all-encompassing. Every medical bill, come on. Every car bill, every insurance bill, every heating bill. Huh? But more than that, every dream. Come on. Every destiny. Every vacation that you've been dying to take. Let's talk about it today. But you haven't. Because you haven't given yourself permission to be blessed financially. God will provide for all of your needs. But then we also know something. God does exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask, think, or imagine according to the power, right? So not only does God supply for all of our needs, but Jesus came to bring us life and life more abundantly. So God wants to give you more than you'd ever know, more than you could ever dream. And we can talk way more about just money, right? But I think sometimes we just skip money and go to everything else. I want to talk about money. I believe that God wants you to abound in your life financially. I believe that God wants to provide for all of your needs. This is the reward of sowing financially. God wants to provide for all of your needs financially. God wants, what was the third one? Yeah. When you give, God wants to give it back with increase. God wants to rebuke the devourer of your life. And last but not least, he wants to open up the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing that you don't have room to contain. That is fantastic. That gets me fired up. The first time that I started tithing, I went into a guitar shop and had no intention of buying a guitar and got a smoking killer, no way that could ever be possible guitar. Ben and I went in, and I realized that God had given me that guitar. I, I realized that God had said, I want you to have this because you're my son. I want you to enjoy it. I know you love playing music. Here you go. It was at that moment that I realized that God exists more than just in this spiritual state, that God actually wants to provide for the everyday needs and the dreams and visions that he's put in our hearts. And it was at that moment that I realized that, holy smokes, like I owe it to myself and I owe it to God, the one who's given me everything, to be obedient with what he's teaching with me to do with, in regards to my money. Amen? Amen? Let's stand up on our feet today. If you are here today and you're, you would consider yourself a member of, your church, of this church, <clears throat> you consider this your home church, and you are not tithing currently, I challenge you and I confront you today to begin to do that. You would much rather hear it from me than God. Trust me. <laughs> you will have to stand before God one day. And make an account for your life in this earth. And one of the reasons that I'm up here today 
is to confront you with things so that God doesn't have to. And I would hate to hear God say, why did you rob from me for all the years of your life? That would be a terrible thing to hear when I stood before him and had to make an account. I would love for him to say, well done, good and faithful servant. And this is just a piece and a part of the puzzle, but it is vitally important. It is one of those simple consistencies that we talked about a few months ago. One of those things that if done simply and consistently will have a drastic and dramatic outcome for our lives indefinitely. If you're not tithing currently, start today and do it for the rest of your life. And see if God won't open up the windows of heaven over your life and pour out a blessing that you don't have room to contain. Amen? If you are tithing today, thank you for your stewardship of your finances. Like, thank you personally because of the dreams that God has put inside of me for this church. I appreciate that. And I want you to be encouraged today that these rewards that we're talking about are for you and for your family. That God wants to open up the windows of heaven over your life and pour out a blessing. God wants to rebuke the devourer over your life so that when those finances come in, they're not already spent, but you have room in your bank account to continue to grow and to continue to grow and to continue to sow and to continue to sow. I believe that God wants to give you back what you've gave, given with increase. And finally, I believe that God wants to supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory. Amen. Amen. Let's pray today. Lord, thank you, God, for you are so good to us. You are so much better than we even know then we could even comprehend your goodness. Thank, thank you, God, for these amazing, excuse me, these amazing, awesome rewards that you have promised us in Scripture as a result of sowing financially into your kingdom, God. I pray, God, if there are those in here that are still on the fence about tithing, God, I pray that you would reveal to them the reality of how good you are, the reality of how powerful you are, and the reality of how all-encompassing your purpose for our lives is, God. For those of us that are sowing financially, God, into your kingdom, God, I declare over you that all of your needs will be met in the name of Jesus. I declare over you that God is going to press down, shake together, and running over will be given back to you. For with the measure that you give, it will be given back to you. I declare that the devourer is rebuked over your life. That when resources come in, that when they come into your life, that they'll no longer be snatched out without being able to be put to the use that God has designed to put it to use for. And I declare that God is going to open up the windows of heaven over your life according to his word. And pour out a blessing into you that you do not have room to contain. In the name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Continue believing, expecting for, and seeking the reward that comes as a result of giving. When you tithe and when you sow, every Sunday, because it's something that we get to do every Sunday when we get together. Continue expecting for, believing for and desiring the reward that's going to come into your life. Amen? Amen. Love you guys. Be blessed.